Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, and a howdy Saturday to you. It is uh, Harry Alexander along with uh, Bunker de France yep. here on uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West in Los Angeles. Todd Roberts is um, braving the stay-at-home stuff. Yeah, well, you know, listen, uh, when you live in a state that's full of nuts and prunes, uh, nuts and nuts, nuts, prunes and nuts, fruits and nuts, yeah, um, it's easy to stay indoors and, uh, it's you know, preferred. watch, I, I just keep watching the Western Channel. There you go. And, uh, um, I, I, in the morning, there's a lot of coffee, and in the afternoon, there's a lot of vodka. You, you see, you just <laughs> you don't need to uh, just watch more westerns. That's all. Hey, before we get underway, I got an announcement I want to talk about. The 11th annual Chandler Chuck Wagon Cookoff is happening. It's uh, going to be at the Tumbleweed Ranch, Tumbleweed Park. That's located at 2250 South McQueen Road, up in Chandler. <laughs> Tickets are going to go on sale um, the 14th of November. Uh, we're, we're, we're just telling you that now so that you've got that. Um, and then Fridays from 6 to 10 and uh, Saturdays 10 to 2. Uh, there'll be a junior camper camper's cooking clinic there okay. as well. So, Try again. Uh, okay. But, Todd, you can't go to the junior cookout because it's for juniors. <laughs> Unless you bring a junior, then you can go as a spectator. Don't, don't give him ideas. Uh, well, you know, maybe he'll take us. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm, I've been able to institute and connive ways to eat for free most of my life. There you go. That's the so, way to do it. You know, um, drinking for free, I've not accomplished yet, but mm-hmm. I'm working on it. Yeah. All right. Uh, for today's program, we're going to do something just go. a little bit different here. Um, and what we, we've got here is a good friend of ours, David Layton. He writes a Street Smarts column for the Arizona Daily Star. And, and, he, and he knows his way around, too, so and he, he doesn't get lost too often. It's, it's, that's, Every once in a while, I still do. <laughs> that, that's, that's amazing that he doesn't get lost. You got that on? Arizona Daily Star. It appears to be. Okay, just there you go. We got some feedback coming, so... You, Guys, you got to turn in Los Angeles. You got to turn down your volume there uh, because we're hearing everything coming back. Try it again. Okay. Well, you know, some people in L.A. There you go. You might have to talk up a little louder because speak just a little. There you go. Okay, so everyone can hear me. All right. All right. So excellent. So David is here. We're going to talk about a subdivision up in the Avra Valley area, and the reason we've got another guest in here, Trevor Schultz, because. David knows squat about guns, and so that's what this thing is all about, is about guns, and so that's why Trevor is here, uh, to talk about uh, all of these Old West firearms. Translate to David so he'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll have to dumb it down just a little bit so this uh, journalist over here can uh, understand it. Yeah, I mean, I want to bring Trevor Schultz on. Uh, as a journalist, it's good to have people that are experts in certain areas that I may not know a lot about. On our show, experts? Uh, well, okay. I mean, I'm doing the best I can do for you guys. I, I brought in a guy who kind of knows about a firearms here. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, Trevor Schultz, is uh, he's got a degree in uh, firearms technology. He's an NRA instructor, and uh, he also uh, collects some World War II guns. So he can, of course, tell more about that. But uh, I want to bring him on the show so he could uh, talk a little more about um, historical firearms. I think most of it is. Um, many, many. If the uh, people that read my column in the Arizona Daily Star that comes out once a month uh, are aware of the fact that I research the origin of street names in Tucson, uh, readers send in names, and um, I pick names and I research who or what they're named for. And this particular subdivision is in the Avra Valley, which is a few miles north of Tucson. And uh, they were named by Gene Anderson of uh, Anderson Engineering, who worked on the subdivision. He named uh, a lot of these streets after historical firearms like flintlocks and Derringer guns and stuff like that. So that I'd bring my expert on, Trevor Schultz. He's the owner of Pony Works, a small business related to firearms as well. So... Uh, that's why he's here. And I apologize ahead of time for the echo that we're getting back here. And I just for the life of me can't figure out why it's happening. But it's happening, so we'll figure out something to do. Just, just imagine we're all in a rain barrel and then have to account for it. Yeah, I guess that, that's one way of looking at it. Well, I have a question for you. So we'll Is there a Red Rider Daisy BB gun street up there? No. Oh, darn. 
but maybe in the future there might be one. Okay. I mean, there is hope. There is hope. So. I mean, they did have some pretty obscure ones like Star Road. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Star Carbine from back yeah. in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, must. There we go. Apparently, Gene Anderson uh, knew his firearms pretty well. I read. I read American Hunter. Okay. Cover to cover. Okay. So the 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 uh, subdivision is up in Avra Valley. Correct. Like as mentioned previously, it's a few miles north of Tucson, Arizona. The subdivision actually is called El Tirador, which is Spanish for the shooter. So it's uh, one of those things where, um, you know, I use a little Spanish and mix in with uh, some English and uh, kind of came up with some unique street names. Well, just just for kind of a quick question on that, wasn't Avery Valley one of the more earlier areas settled outside of the Presidio for ranches and such? Avra Valley, well, Avra Valley runs all the way into Mexico. Yeah. So Avra, the valley itself is very, very old. So in the, in the southern part of Mexico, or excuse me, northern part of Mexico and southern Arizona, Avra Valley was settled for ranches, yes. Um, for example, the Robles family was one of the... That's what I was thinking. Yeah, the Rob- Bernabe Robles, for example, was one of the early settlers uh, dating back, to, I think, to 1850s in Avra Valley. Uh, but Avra Valley meaning the town, uh, unincorporated town north of Tucson, uh, that settlement area doesn't date till probably 1910s, 1920s. uh, But Avra Valley is quite a big valley. So So who came up with this uh, uh, name of of these estates? Any idea? The the subdivision? Yeah. Um, I would guess Gene Anderson. uh, He was the engineer. Well, he was the engineer assigned from the developer uh, to come up. I know he came up with the street names. I'm going to guess he came up with the name of the subdivision as well. Okay, so, and they can come up with their own street names, right? And so it's. Correct. So it's. Is there any rhyme or reason as to how it's laid out? I mean, do we have. Uh, long guns uh, going east and west, and short guns <laughs> going north and south, or any <laughs> hey. revolvers, yeah, right, automatics, yeah. yeah. You know, not not that I'm aware of. As far as I know, he just kind of came up with uh, different, like, kind of historical gun names, or uh, I, you know, things related to firearms and stuff like that. So let's talk about uh, one of those street names. Well, I'll go ahead and let. Uh, my main man, Trevor Schultz, here take over on that. Oh, you uh, chicken and out on us already. <laughs> hey, this is why I bring experts in for areas, I, you know, I like knowledge in. You know, I bring guys in that know what they're talking about. Well, in our discussions before the show, you mentioned uh, how you wanted to get a Derringer, and there is yeah. a Derringer Street up yeah. there at, yeah. uh, in El Tirador. And uh, the Derringer, I don't know if you're aware of this, most people, when they think Derringer, they think the small pocket pistols, mm-hmm. double barrel. Mm-hmm. But the, the original Derringer is the Philadelphia Derringer, was a percussion cap single shot pistol right. and was used in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, it's since evolved since then, and how Derringer is spelled is actually an incorrect spelling of Henry Derringer, the guy who originally devent- invented it. Only one R? Only one R in his name. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, Derringer. Yeah. Uh, back Durr. in the, <laughs> uh, in the West. Uh, older times, you know, cowboys, stuff like that. Uh, most of the time they were used uh, by bad guys, people concealing firearms uh, at poker tables, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, prostitutes and stuff like that for close quarters. It was the usual caliber It was also considered a powder puff uh, pistol, too. It was, yeah. It was the, what, was, what was the standard caliber on those? They could range a lot. Most of them were still thirty eight caliber until they started going toward the uh, uh, actual sealed cartridge. Once they moved over to the cartridge, the most popular caliber was forty-five. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That packs a wallop, doesn't it? It does, and they kick like a mule. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever shot one before. Uh, I've, I've shot things that uh, yeah kick like mules, but uh, that's a, that's a lot of firepower for a little piece of metal. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, they were very heavy, though. Um, you know, nowadays you have modern metallurgy and stuff, so they can mm-hmm. use things like aluminum, magnesium to make these firearms. But uh, back in the day, it was all iron and steel, and they, mm-hmm. they probably weighed a good two pounds, even though they could fit inside your pocket. Hmm. And, hmm. The, and the other thing, too, is though, you know, the 38 and, like you said later, the 45, but the smaller calibers were very popular. In fact, there was a period there where the 22 long rifle was really popular. Absolutely. Twenty-two long rifle is the most used firearm in history. Uh, well, calibers 
most used caliber in history for any kind of firearm. And uh, a lot of the cowboy action guns uh, that today we shoot in forty five mm-hmm. were originally in twenty two. Uh, one of the other streets and subdivisions named Single Six. Yeah. Now, Single Six has only been around since the 50s. It's a production of Ruger, which is based out of Prescott, Arizona. Um, but it's a replication of what they would have used in the West, a single-action mm-hmm. revolver that fires 22 long-rifle cartridges, and they have cylinders now for 22 Magnum. Um, but that those types of firearms, the 22s, were extremely popular for a long time in every form. Yeah, and I know, too, that uh, during the Depression and going back to the first uh, really mass using of cartridges, that the two twenty two was considered the the cartridge that took more deer than any other cartridge. Yeah, there have been many advancements of the twenty two caliber as a whole. and I would even venture to say that the twenty two caliber in all of its various different forms outnumber any other yeah. any other firearm caliber out there. I can remember as a kid going into the hardware store and every hardware store had a big barrel and they had twenty two cartridges in there that have shorts in one barrel and long rifles in another and they were pinning a cartridge. You just grab a handful, go up there, walk them down and say, Oh, that's twenty three cents. <laughs> Those were the good old days, Bunker. Those were wonderful days. You know. We need that again. We know this kind of price is just like we need gas prices to go down to about 99 cents again. Maybe even a little less would be great. I can remember. <laughs> Tell us what you remember, Bunker, I can remember, back in the 1800s. I can remember 19 cents on the... On the 16 cents. Yeah. I paid wow. 16 cents for gasoline at a Shamrock station on Craycroft uh, over by the airbase. When was that? What year was that? Uh, 1968, 69. Those really were the good old days. And some of the gas stations that even give you some plates or a glass. Glasses, yeah. 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 You fill up. (laughs) Yep. Those those are actually... With full service. (laughs) So what other other, uh, firearm names are we looking at over Uh, in this estate? They also have a flintlock road, which flintlock isn't particularly a firearm, as you know. It's an action type. It's been used all over the place. Um, Flintlocks, no one quite knows the exact origin of who started using the flintlock first and who invented it, but uh, the popularized flintlock that we know today was developed by a uh, French engineer and gunsmith, Mm -hmm. uh, which his big accomplishment was to both combine the Prison, which is used to ignite the uh, ignite a spark, which would ignite your priming pan, mm-hmm. and a priming pan cover to keep your powder dry, mm-hmm. all on the same piece that moved out of the way once the striker hits it. So, so uh, almost like a, um, uh, a wheel lock. Very much like a wheel lock. But which uh, came, the was it the wheel lock or the dog lock that came first? I, I believe I, it was the dog lock yeah. that came first, and then the wheel lock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, certainly better than the matchlock. Absolutely. Matchlock was a bit of a mess. <laughs> to throw you a curve out on left field, uh, in the history of firearms, we read very, very little about uh, firearm development in, in China, which is the birthplace of gunpowder. And I'm, I've always been curious about you know Oriental, Oriental firearms, because I know during World War II, uh, my, my, one of my uncles had a Japanese sniper rifle that fired wooden bullets. Hmm. I, I haven't heard of the wooden bullets. I know that uh, because of all the embargoes and everything placed on Japan, uh, they were using all kinds of things that they can get their hands on. And uh, I know if you're a firearms collector, uh, especially World War II like myself, there's a lot of the Japanese firearms that you want to avoid towards later war because they literally were made in people's basements or in the middle of a jungle, and yeah. they do not hold up well. I'm thinking, though, going way back, you know, uh, 1700s, 1600s, you know, while Europe was developing firearms, uh, we know that China was not sitting there stagnant. No, absolutely not. I mean, uh, the first records of a, a true... I guess you could kind of call it a firearm, would be uh, the Chinese had these arrow launchers. Rocket, rocket, the first rocket war. Exactly, yep. They would have uh, rockets, fireworks essentially strapped to arrows, and they'd light this fuse that would go to all of them at the same time and launch a volley of like 20 or 30 arrows at you. 
and the um, enemy would go, oh, ooh, yeah. wow. And then ow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fun only lasts until they got hit. And then, then, then the fun ended. They're like, then, they get, then they get mad. Yeah. Not necessarily a bad way to go out. At least you go out with a bang, you know? <laughs> That's true. That is one way to go out. Yeah. Uh, you know, as long as it isn't a big fizz. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, Trevor, what didn't the? Uh, I think you mentioned to me that the Encyclopedia Britannica had the. Was it the flintlock you mentioned had it a little off? Was that? Correct? Yeah, when I was doing some supplemental research for this, uh, I decided to try to use Encyclopedia Britannica uh, for reference on the the musket. Mm-hmm. And if you know how, not a musket. I'm sorry, the the flintlock. And if you know how flintlock works, basically you have a cock or a hammer that holds your mm-hmm. flint in between some jaws and that is locked back and then when you pull the trigger a, sear's re- a sear releases it the hammer comes forward hits the frizzen which yeah. causes the spark well in Encyclopedia Britannica apparently whichever flintlocks they got a hold of the frizzen strikes the hammer <laughs> <laughs> never heard of that before mm-hmm. but you know well you know here's a series running on PBS now it's ran before called Jamestown, and it's during the, it's about the settlement of Jamestown, and they're carrying the early firearms, which are the punk, right? And that, that, it's just great to watch them because there's this guys running around with these. They they look like a giant baseball bat or, and with a with a fuse just curled all over. I guess that's so they can just keep feeding fuse into it, you know. Well, the uh, that sounds a lot like an arquebus. Um, it is a lot like it, yeah. Yeah, and most likely, if it was a matchlock design, it would just literally be a four or five foot long fuse yeah. that was constantly burning, and then they would have to because when the round goes off, it's going to create a blast, which is going to cut the end of the fuse off. So you got to feed a little bit more fuse <laughs> in to constantly keep it going. Yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, saw a guy fire a matchlock uh, pirate festival that we were doing, and he took it out to the beach just to test it and so he he tests he put a uh, loaded the powder in there and he had a uh, he had a flash in the pan and he walked away no eyebrows but he still had his beard <laughs> so that's well, the where beard's the important came part from. <laughs> yeah yeah it what is. the ladies like anyways it the is. beard <laughs> and oh my god he 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 was uh, he, he didn't want to shoot after that. I, I can imagine why. I never just I, you know, I you use. Gotta I get use, back I, on the horse. I use slow match when I'm using my cannon, um, but uh, to have it always with you, while you know, think of the, the three musketeers, man. <laughs> Those were match locks that they were using, and you always had to feed that a little bit. And of course, they didn't work well in the rain either. No, they didn't work well in the rain, which is where the advent of the the pan cover came in. Um, But another advantage to having that pan cover is when you had matchlocks like that, you had to space your soldiers out Mm -hmm. because one person shooting would Mm -hmm. either knock the powder Mm -hmm. off the next guy's gun. I was just thinking that. Or ignite the powder on the next Mm -hmm. guy's gun. They weren't the safest things. And on that note, we've got to take our very first break here. So we're talking with Trevor Schultz and David Layton uh, about uh, uh, subdivision up in Avra Valley. We're talking guns. That's what we're talking Fire about. Gun streets. Uh, gun streets. And street uh, guns. We, 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 guns in the streets. Named we, after guns. There you go. We, we love Our guns. guns with streets named anyway, after. Anyway, we'll yeah. be back right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities 
activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, Let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 There was a gun that won the West There was a man among the best The fastest gun or man alive A lightning bolt when he drew that hole 45 Oh, we are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France. And in studio with us is uh, Trevor Schultz and David Layton. And I think uh, Todd Roberts is back with us. Are you there, Todd? Hello? Hello? Nope, now he's gone. He's uh, gone again. Yeah, well. well, you know, Chris, while we, before we get back into the topic, i got a little thing I've, I've started doing. It's a tally book uh, of when I have a guest some particular thing about our western heritage history uh one thing that is outstanding to you it could be a book a movie an actor a painter uh, a gunsmith but that one thing about our western heritage that uh is kind of like something you know that you kind of go back to uh for me it's it's got to be the gatling gun the gatling gun oh awesome <laughs> there's uh, there's nothing more iconic, I don't think, in the West than a, a good old fashioned ten barrel Gatling gun. <laughs> George Gat is George, right? George Gatling. Richard Gatling. Richard Gatling mm-hmm. uh, tasked with coming up with a firearm that will kill the most people, yet be used by the fewest. And uh, I mean, it's a forerunner to the modern day machine gun, of course. Um, they travel on a, a number one field carriage. And uh, they were used during the Civil War, not very often, but they were used. Absolutely, they were. And uh, the funny thing is Richard Gatling hated the idea of this. It was kind of mm-hmm. like uh, the situation with the scientists mm-hmm. uh, developing the atom bomb. Is mm-hmm. he, he did not like the idea of this. His hope for designing this Gatling gun was that it would be so fearsome that it would never be used again and large-scale battles would just go away. I thought he got it for duck hunting. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm know. not even sure that would make it any easier to duck hunt, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and those were shooting, those were actually shooting a cartridge, right? They were. Yeah. Um, there were two uh, developments by Richard Gatling. His first Gatling gun was a nine-barreled 50 caliber gun that did not end up getting adopted. Uh, the one that we all know today was a 10-barrel 30 caliber, which, yes, used a metallic mm-hmm, cartridge mm-hmm. Um, and was typically operated by at least two people, sometimes three. Mm-hmm. you got to have one person to turn the crank mm-hmm. and aim the gun. you got to have another one to constantly load the stick mag, which was mm-hmm. mounted, mounted yeah. up top. Yeah, when I, they first started those, did they, did they come out with the mag, or was that a later development? 
Uh, I think that was the development of the second one. Yeah. I think the original 50 cal did not have a stick mag. It could, it could be pretty difficult having to load <laughs> each one. Absolutely. Well, yeah. We had uh, the park I worked at in Florida. We had a, a Gatling gun um, that had stamped on it 19.3. And I'm thinking it was used during the Span Am War at some point. And um, it, it was fully operational except for the part that I had on my desk, which rendered it inoperable because <laughs> we didn't want tourists playing with it or anything like that. Well, think of the ones they had in Vietnam mounted in the, in the uh, helicopters. Yeah, oh, well, that and the... They the, were pretty and, impressive. And the C-47s, uh, uh, yeah, uh, and the C-130 later, um, Spooky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've, uh, Welcome, Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> they made a huge step. And with Gatling guns, I mean, uh, you're talking a change from a 350 to 400 round a minute yeah, firearm yeah. to nowadays when you think of like the Dillon miniguns, you're talking well in excess of 3,000 rounds yeah. a minute. I don't know if you guys have ever heard someone shoot 100 rounds yes, out of Yes, I have. Thing. Yes. Yeah, it's a quick buzz, like <laughs> a phone vibrating, and yeah. then it's over. It's like a hornet's nest. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Todd, are you with us there? Uh, I am back. Yay! Have yeah. you got a question? Yeah. A comment? Yes, I do. Um... You know, it was always said that the Gatling gun was created by a man who thought he could, uh, uh, hold on, Ella? (laughs) That's Ella. Ella has uh, a question. uh, Who who loves to complain about everything I do. Um, That's that's, uh, Todd's dog. It's a vicious guard dog. dog. Mother's dog. Vicious guard dog. And uh, it was created by a man who basically wanted to... Uh, create a weapon that was so devastating that no one would ever want to have a fight in mm-hmm. war again. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we see that that is not the case. Um, it only escalated war. So why is it that, in your opinion, that the Gatling gun did that, uh, did not accomplish its mission, but in some ways, nuclear arms have, because... Both sides felt that it was obviously so, so devastating that they have done everything not to have a conflict. So mm. why did it not work with the Gatling gun? But it interesting. So far has worked with nuclear arms. I feel like with the Gatling gun, uh, while at its time when it first came out was an incredible uh, presence to behold and had devastating damage. Once the damage was cleaned up, it was over. Whereas with nuclear warfare, you know, you've got all the the waste, the byproduct, and the radiation left over that can leave places uninhabitable and completely destroy the Earth in some cases. Um, So I feel like that's that's where the big difference is. With the Gatling gun, you get the business done, you clean up, you move on with life. Whereas you can't really do that as well with nuclear firearms. I think there's two two things too, which they failed to put a bayonet on the Gatling gun, so it wasn't as frightening. The other well, thing too, though, can't is, imagine charging is, with one of those. Things. Yeah, and the other the other thing though is you know we think we think about the awesome firepower of the Gatling gun, but during the Civil War, which would be more awesome, an artillery barrage or a single Gatling gun going off? Well, it depends on what they're shooting. If they're shooting canister shot or grape shot, then and it just 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 one of the big battle, you know, with hundreds of cannons going off mm-hmm. one right after another, repeating as fast as they can load them. I think that would probably be a, a lot more devastating, um, just from the sheer firepower yeah, of I th- it. I think that's probably part of the thing too. Is it's it's you know just to observe it, you're going wow. But if you're if you're on the other side of an artillery barrage, I that's think that's a fun. double wow. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, some of the other street names that are uh, out there in the estates. Uh, well, there's one we talked about before the show, the uh, Star Carbine. They have a Star Road. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you talk about Civil War firearms, Star doesn't necessarily get brought up all that often, even though it was well-beloved by the testers of it. Um Apparently, there was a lot of negative feedback from the field, uh, and the big problem came from a letter sent by, uh, give me just one second here, Major Peter V. Hagner, who uh, sent the letter stating that the Star Carbine and the Sharps Carbine could use the same ammunition. 
Now, because they look so similar, he just assumed that they could, mm. and they couldn't. Mm -hmm. So people were using Sharp's <laughs> ammunition in a star carbine. And blowing it up. And blowing it up yeah. and having all kinds <laughs> of issues. So they they were hated by the troops because they were confused and they were they thought they were doing the right thing and it just wasn't working. It's a lot like uh, in Vietnam with the M16 when soldiers were told they don't have to clean the gun. <laughs> and they're running around in the mud and they're right. jamming up and fouling up and having all kinds yeah. of problems. Even after you cleaned it, it still did that. Uh, exactly. I, 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 I'm here to tell M4 you that. <laughs> that they was really having problems with? It was the M16. M16, M16 yeah, M4. Yeah. Uh, any... The, and now the question is gone. Yeah. Oh well, that was, that, was, that was your best question. You know, Harry. it just uh, yeah. just it'll come up building. tonight when you're lying right before. I know. Dad, just left it. left well, the building. Well, David, let's get some feedback from you about your streets up there in Aber Valley. What prompted you, you to brought write? The, you you brought this up yeah, and what? then you kind of sit back in the corner giggling. Yeah. What, what do you? Why, why did you bring up? Why did you uh, come up with this kind of a a column? You know, I, I just thought it might be kind of a unique, kind of interesting mm -hmm. column, different than what I've done in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, the majority of streets in Tucson, or the origin of their names, come from usually Tucsonians. Mm -hmm. uh, usually people, a lot of them are pioneers and stuff. And so I thought this was kind of a unique one to do. It is. You know, it's a neat idea. It's kind of interesting, it you know. And so that's, you know, kind of the thing is trying to come up with new, new and unique things. I mean, a couple months ago, I, I was given the opportunity to name a couple streets in Tucson myself. And um, so I actually researched the property and found out that the Ronstadt family uh, had owned that property. Uh, many people, of course, know Linda Ronstadt, the famous singer. Mm -hmm. uh, CNN just did a documentary on her. I think that came out on the 1st of January of this year. Highly rated. Yeah, very highly rated. And very well, it was one of the most watched things on CNN. Yeah, according to what I read online, anyway. Um, yeah, the but, sound uh, of my voice was originally <laughs> founded by uh, uh, Federico and Lupe Ronstadt, who were grandparents. Mm -hmm. uh, it was on kind of on the north, kind of north eastish of Tucson, kind of out near the Rito River. So, um, so actually, after researching, I came up with the two street names: uh, Fe, uh, Corte de Federico, which is Federico Court in Calle de Lupe, which is Lupe Street. Oh, cool. So that's kind of a little experience myself of the opportunity to name a couple streets that's in Tucson. That's kind of neat. How cool. We have to take another break here, so everybody stand by. We'll be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right here on a Saturday for you uh, after these messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Man, this is frustrating. It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage. Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? Uh-huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh-huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh-huh. Call Arizona Computer Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus-free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304-8300 or at azcomputerguru.com. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. 
And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Outs podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Outs podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubbs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movies Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movies Out. Until then, and that's a wrap. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We are back on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. It is a Saturday, and uh, I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France with us. And Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Who else is here? Uh, David Layton, Arizona Daily Star columnist for um, Street Smarts is, uh, is the column. He's here, and we're talking about one of his columns. And his gun expert, Trevor Schultz, is here. Did I get everybody right? Yeah, you yeah, got, it. got it all right. Wow. Okay, I want to do a little shout-out right now. A good friend of mine, Margo Susco, mm-hmm. uh, contacted me last week after the show, and she says, I want to do something for the show. How do I do it? So I got her in touch with Harry. She made a very, very nice uh contribution mm-hmm. to our to our donor thing, which helps us uh, pay the electric bill, the water the, bill, keeps the, the gas running. bill. Keeps the herd uh, running. And uh, it has nothing to do with our liquor bill. Oh, no, no. And, uh, <laughs> Nobody, I don't know if that's not true. Nobody gets <laughs> it. Just hold me off the air. But no. anyhow, Margo, thank you very much. We love you dearly. And... Keep the checks coming. No, nobody, <laughs> nobody can afford our liquor bill. Nobody. <laughs> I guarantee that. Well, you know, uh, Trevor, before we get back into this, would you like to say a little something about uh, your role with NRA here in Tucson? Yeah, I'm actually a uh, NRA pistol instructor. I will be hosting a class uh, next Saturday, actually, at my home. Uh, it's called Women on Target. It's a shooting seminar specifically for women. Uh, to help them get them in a familiar environment and start learning some about firearms to help people uh, uh, who are struggling with that issue. Sure. A lot of a lot of fear about firearms comes from just people not knowing how to act around them, how to be safe around them. Mm-hmm. So it's I like a, it's a tool. It's exactly. just a tool. And I, you know, and I think now that they have pink Glocks, a lot of women are more comfortable. My daughter. It would match your pink bandana. It'd be yeah, great. My daughter. My daughter had a uh, 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 one of the shields, and it came in pink, and she found herself <laughs> pink-tipped ammunition. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, can you imagine getting that round pulled out of you? I mean. How embarrassing! I, I don't Shot know if I'd want to survive bullet. that one. You know, I just don't know. Shot with a pink bullet. <laughs> yeah. So, Todd, what are you using when you uh, when you do your cowboy action shooting? You're using forty fives, right? Forty five, uh, forty five long Colt uh, for my rifle and my pistol. Even though back in the days of the old west, there was no forty five long Colt rifle. Mm-hmm. That's why most cowboys. Who carried a rifle and a six gun carried 45, uh, 44 40 or 44 special. 
Um, but now, you know, that it has been converted and there's a lot of manufacturers out there making 45 long Colt uh, uh, rifles, it's just it's just an easy way to go. You don't have to switch your ammunition and mm-hmm. you never put in anything in the wrong place. And you still have your shotgun, right? It. You still have your shotgun, right? Well, and, and then, yeah, unfortunately, my shotgun um, is... Uh, is a Norinco single action 97 copy. Um, I bought it second hand. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to buy it new and send the money to China, um, <laughs> which I didn't like in the first place. But now I really don't like the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know they're the uh, unfor- the worst part about Norinco is Norinco really is the uh, is it's not just owned by the Chinese government. It's owned by the Chinese army. Wow. So you're literally giving money to the Chinese army when you buy a Norinco product. Well, we don't want to do uh, that. <laughs> brand new. And uh, I think with today's uh, situation, yeah. wow. uh, we need to be mindful that I had a beautiful Winchester 97, <clears throat> which was made in about 1922, but it was mm. stolen when all my mm. uh, gun leather, all my long guns, mm-hmm. and all my Buck Taylor art was stolen. Mm-hmm. And we, and, al- we uh, also so, we also wanted to mention... Uh, Trevor wanted to mention something about Gatling guns in California. Yeah, so uh, as you know, uh, living in California, the gun laws are absolutely crazy out there. Uh, But one thing I always thought was entertaining is that because of the definition of what a Gatling gun is and the definition of an automatic firearm, it doesn't fall under that category. So you can legally own and operate Gatling guns in California. Because it actually shoots just one barrel at a time. Exactly, and (laughs) the definition of an automatic is something that will fire more than one projectile with a single action. Because you have to crank a Gatling gun, you are constantly doing a new action. What if we made a automatic that was made like a pepper box? (laughs) Oh, goodness. I don't even know how that would function. (laughs) You know... You know, Bunker, usually these ideas come after protection. the show when the drinking starts. <laughs> but well, how do you know I wasn't drinking before the show? Yeah, he's already well, started. Well, entirely possible. I'm not there to, <laughs> to, a pretty to dark share bottle with you here, or, you know? or curtail it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, al- but, uh, he's already started. I also wanted to ask you about the Gatling gun since we're on the subject. Is So often we hear that uh, Custer said... No, I don't want to. I don't want to have a Gatling. I don't want to have a Gatling gun in my command. Um, it, you know, I'm like cavalry, and it's too it it burden it's too burdensome and slows me down. And then there's always the theory of how the little bighorn would have turned out differently if he had carried it. Um, but then again, neither did Benteen and Reno have it. So. Um, and they were able to survive. So I just wanted your thoughts on that. Um, I I honestly don't know too much about uh, the specific history of how the bandle, battle was handled. Um, the My guess would be it was just a, a lapse in judgment and uh, just a wrong call at that time for what was going on. Um, while the Gatling gun may have helped, uh, like you said, other bottle, battles have been fought and won without it. So I, I just don't see how a single Gatling gun would have turned that tide. And also, just to, just to, for clarification, Benteen and Reno being under Custer's command would have no say about uh, the Gatling gun being brought along or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Know, hard to say. Now, there's one more street that you wanted to mention. Yeah, the last one I wanted to mention was uh, Carbine Road. Now, a Carbine's not a specific firearm to talk about. What it basically just means is a long rifle that is shorter than other long rifles. Um, But it's been used to describe many firearms, including the modern military firearms we have today, the M4 carbine, stuff like that. Where did the term come from, then? So the the term came from the French carabine, Mm -hmm. uh, which means the same thing, but no one knows exactly where it came from. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of discussion about it uh, Mm -hmm. and people arguing as to who invented the term and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's where it came from. and it's been, I would say, probably the most recognizable carbine in the world would probably be something like the Winchester 73. Uh, it's a lever-action carbine, uh, you know, the, the gun that won the West. It's been featured in so many different Western movies. Um, and there was even a Western movie just called The Carbine. Isn't it supposed to be a certain uh, barrel length? Not really. Um, you might think so, but it really just is a 
shorter version of a longer rifle. Mm -hmm. You know, and the funny thing when you because you're talking about it, it made me think that most of the time when you like you're watching a western movie, you're reading a western novel or something, they never talk about the carbine. They talk about the saddle gun. Exactly. Which is a carbine. Exactly. Yeah, the the carbines were originally developed for cavalry. Uh, and then it developed beyond there to, you know, tank in, uh, tank people and mm -hmm. tank crews, uh, people that weren't in direct mm -hmm. combat. Uh, in fact, I own a Steyr M95 carbine uh, from World War One that was used uh, in World War Two by German tank commandos. Wow! Um, and it was—it's just a shorter version of the full-size rifle. Know, it's like the, you know, I've got a ton of cavalry movies, and we always had the sharps. 45 carbine, the short one, because you, you can imagine having a long, a long barrel carbine horseback. It, it, it could get in the way. Oh, absolutely. Well, you can't shoot on horseback that way. Oh, yeah, you can. With a long gun. Not well. Well, yeah. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, trying to keep a compact rifle steady is one yeah. thing, but yeah. trying to keep a 50-inch rifle steady? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah and meanwhile, the Indian's got his automatic bow. Yeah. <laughs> He's just whipping them out one by one. So, um, I, as I mentioned earlier, my good friend uh, Dan Gagliasso, who is a expert in, in warfare uh, subjects of many kind and Old West, mm -hmm. but especially the cavalry, the U.S. Cavalry Indian Wars, said um, in regards to my banter about the Gatling gun was only used a very few times in the Indian Wars, several times in Red River Comanche War, uh, and then only once during the Nez Pierce War with very little effect. So that kind of reiterate, reiterates and, and is parallel to your point uh, that you were saying. I think there was a Gatling gun at Wounded Knee. Um, yeah, there was, yeah. Because uh, Bob Fuller was in it. Right. Uh, well, that was up on the hill. Yeah. Yeah. But, I yeah. mean, you know... And, and then the remake of... Uh, uh, the Magnificent Seven mm -hmm. with the Gatlin gun that could shoot from 360 degree angle. Oh yeah, right. You know, when it shot up the building, it shot off all four <laughs> sides. You know, very impressive. That's yeah, how. That's how. They were they were the, using the original 50 cal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they had, they had uh, curving Dan bullets. just said that it wasn't a Gatling gun; it was a Hotchkiss. Hotchkiss. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's Thank right. you. Uh, up on the hill, but yeah. by the way, when they started to spray down into the valley there or into that glen. Um, they they were at they at first they were hitting just uh, just as many uh, blue cloats as they were hitting Sioux, mm -hmm. um, but then there weren't that many and they dispersed as many uh, the Indians did and then the rest of it was all Indians. There were close to two hundred and I think ninety three Indians. Uh, around 300. Around 300 that were, were met their maker that day and went to the Great Spirit. Well, that's one of those firearms that it, it, it's uh, uh, you, you shoot, you, you pray and shoot that you're going to hit something. And <laughs> invariably, you're going to hit something because of uh, the rate of fire you on know, the thing. But they're just plumb not accurate. You know, it would be hard to think of a TV series in the 50s that didn't have at least one episode of the bad guys with the that had a Gatling gun and mm -hmm. a wagon, mm -hmm. you know, with tarp over it so that nobody knew it was there. Mm -hmm. But they they were not. I don't think they were the the accurate weapon that um, is portrayed because mainly because of the kick of the piece. I mean, you know, that thing well, is, was, well, they, it's on a, it's on a carriage and it's wielding it. I and mean, they're not really aiming it. You no, know, it's like, that's they look, they're just looking down the road. Yeah, even, you know, with, with a Thompson submachine gun, uh, yeah, you, you, you well, pray and spray one of those. Because, mm -hmm, <laughs> yeah, you know, There's somebody no, that shoots a lot gets a pretty good hand-eye coordination with the gun. Yeah. But you, you know, that's not the kind of thing you get that thing. Yeah, but, but I'm saying with a, with a machine gun, it's, you know, when, when you, Pull back the trigger; it's gonna. Oh, it climbs the hill. Yeah. So, hey, we got to do. Unless you hold it upside down. Well, yeah, and then you're. Then it goes down. We won't, <laughs> we won't go there. Uh, we're talking with Trevor Schultz, David Layton, uh, Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Uh, Bunker to France on the other side of the glass. Yes, sir. I'm Harry Alexander. We're going to take our final break here and be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. 
Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, Visit armyhistory.org. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting place courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. You're walking out there, Harry. <laughs> we're, we're, ja- we're jamming here, man. <laughs> We'd be jamming with uh, the theme to Yancey. Yeah, even David was jamming, and he doesn't have a hearsay. <laughs> I couldn't even hear it. I just saw him jamming, so I decided to try to jam with my hands. Hey, jam too. on, yeah. Jam on, brother. Jack Mahoney, Yancey Derringer. That's a, great, <laughs> that's a great television program. What a great name for a character. No kidding, huh? Yeah. yeah. Shotgun Slade. Shotgun Slade. Shotgun Gibbs. Yeah. All right. Okay, we're talking guns. Obviously, when are we going to see this column in the in the uh, in the newspaper? Um, so, if people are interested, I mean, even if you're not in Tucson, you can look online and see some of uh, Trevor Schultz's great research and some of my good writing. That's uh, <laughs> the first Monday of next month. Okay, so first hey, next Monday. What have you got in the hopper coming up? Uh, Actually, for myself, um, a few months back, uh, the producers from the show The Dead Files, uh, which has the medium Amy Allen. And the retired New York Police Department um, investigator, Steve DeShevey, uh paid a visit to Tucson. Uh, they did film two shows here. Uh, both of them were actually filmed at the illustrious Pima Air and Space Museum. Oh. Uh, the shows are related. I can't uh, say too much about these upcoming shows. Sworn to secrecy. Right. I had to sign some paperwork, you know, all that stuff, lawyers and all that. So, uh, But both of them are aviation-related Um um, I don't know if it's because I'm working on a book related to Howard Hughes and his aviation, that's why they picked mm-hmm. me, or if it's because I did some filming with them back in 2017 in Sawadee, Arizona. But I've got two uh, upcoming shows where I'm a guest on The Dead Files uh, this upcoming Thursday, uh, what is it, April 16th, and then the following Thursday, April 23rd, I will be a guest historian 
and journalist on the show The Dead Files, which you can see on the Travel Channel. Travel Channel. So right. and if you guys don't have the Travel Channel, you miss it. Um, usually you can find it on YouTube within the next 48 hours after it shows. Um, so, again, August 6th, Thursday, August 16th, uh, and August 23rd, I will be a guest on The Dead Files. Or just point your internet browser to, uh, or not internet browser, but your internet television uh, thing to uh, locate the travel channel. I cut the cable about a year and a half ago, and I am so happy about I that. Don't know. Oh, Trevor, what have you got uh, besides your uh, shooting class coming up? Uh, I also have a company called Pony Works. We make custom Kydex holsters, uh, holsters, knife sheaths. Uh, if you frequent the gun shows at the Expo Center or out at the fairgrounds, you've probably seen me before. I always have a booth set up there. Um, and you don't need an FFL for those? I don't. I don't need an FFL for those. Um, I at My turnaround time for my holsters is about an hour. Mm-hmm. You can uh, Best way to get in touch with me is PonyWorks at Outlook.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can set up an appointment. If I don't have the mold already for your firearm, then I will need your firearm. But it only takes about an hour. I can get it done, get it back to you, and uh, you can be on your way. The nice thing about my holsters, I call them the ultimate holster. Uh, I was finding that I had four or five holsters for every gun I owned because sometimes I want to carry inside or mm. outside. I've got range holsters, everything else. So I decided to make one that does everything. So my cool. holsters can be worn both inside or outside. You can wear them right-handed or left-handed from your 12 o'clock position all the way around to 6 o'clock, no anywhere kidding. in between. Well, you're, you're covered. And what, any hour of the day. And, what, and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certain it's a reasonable, uh, reasonable cost. Yeah, they start at fifty dollars. Um, that's not. Well, that's nothing. Yeah. yeah, most custom stuff around there is gonna cost you at least that. Yeah. Um, I do go up a little bit if you've got things like flashlights, lasers, red dot sights, anything like that that I have to accommodate sure. for. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, I try to keep it as reasonable as possible. Do you do a period holsters as well? I do. Um, the one that I did that's most recognizable is I did a uh, I did a holster for a Colt Single Action Army. Um, and he he loves it. <laughs> a, ki- a Kydex holster. A Kydex holster. Yep, absolutely. Now that's not period. No, um, <laughs> it's a period firearm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so I guess if you mean period in the in the ways of making leather and stuff like that, I don't. I only do Kydex, um, but I can make them for older firearms. Yeah. Um, I also did more, a, a more modern holster for an older firearm. Exactly. Um, so let me ask you this, Trevor. Do you make one for a, uh, shall we say, a tactical assault shotgun? Ooh. <laughs> uh, so I can. It's going to be costly uh, because shotguns are much larger. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh-huh. Um, I actually, my dad lives out in California, and he was building his safe. Uh, I actually made some... I guess you could call them holsters uh, that mount inside his safe for his AR-15s. God, your dad and I could spend hours together. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get a an attachment for my shotgun, like uh, the opening of the Sheriff of Cochise, uh, John Bromfeld, when, he, oh, when yeah. it opens up and the, the, the door opens and there's his, his long gun sitting there on the door. Attached with a couple of uh, well, yeah, clips. They used to make these uh, baby carry uh, attachments for pickups. You know, when you had the bench seat, yeah. and it basically was just uh, snaps on each end and two in the center, and you could just lay your gun in there. It was like cradled. Of course, we used to be able to carry our firearms in the back of our vehicles yeah. all the time. <laughs> well, there were, I can remember again you know, going way back there. I can back remember. In the day. I can remember uh, seeing somebody with a pickup on the street there in Rio Dosa, with a, a, a rifle in the in the gun rack in the window, with the windows rolled down. And nobody <laughs> locked their car, and nobody you know, no. nobody was going. Oh my God! Yeah, no. That's crazy. We are pretty much out of uh, out of time here. Uh, oh, this was fun. I was going to mention, Trevor, you do have a uh, Facebook, correct? Yeah. I do. I am on Facebook. I don't know the full URL because it's complicated. Facebook.com slash something. Yeah, <laughs> slash something. It's a bunch of jumbles of letters and numbers. But if you just search Ponyworks on there, you can find me. Okay. Um, just I do, Google you. Yeah, Google Ponyworks. You'll, you, I guarantee you'll find Trevor me. Trevor Schultz, and that's uh, with an A in the Trevor. Mm-hmm. Yes, Parents had to research and found another Trevor Schultz who doesn't have an A in the first name. So. Well, now that's and important. how do folks find you? Um, I mean, if they want to. If I they- mean, they can always find me on just Tucson.com, which is the Arizona Daily Star website. 
um, or just type in David Layton, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, um, you know, Arizona Daily Star. My, my email is uh, azjournalist21 at gmail.com. And how do they find you, Harry? Uh, they don't. They oh. don't. He's, <laughs> he's actually in the witness protection program. Uh, they don't find yes. him. All right, that's it for our show. Todd, thanks much for joining us from L.A. today. Thanks, Todd. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Appreciate it was it. a pleasure. Appreciate it was it a fun much. show. Next, uh, next time we get together, we will be talking with Chris Enns. And uh, we're going to talk about her book uh, on suffragettes, as well as uh, some discussion about the pinks. The pinks. So that's uh, our show for next time. Until then, adios. So long. Adios. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. 